I'm Anna Dallaher. And on this episode of the Reclaiming the Garden podcast, we are interviewing the YouTubers Jordan and McKay, um, who are ex-Mormons. It's the first time we've had people from the Mormon tradition on the show, and we are so excited. It was such a really great conversation to ask them about their experiences and what kind of made them question and, you know, quirky Mormon stuff they experienced. So... Yeah, it was a great conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, as per usual, we do provide ways to support them. So definitely go subscribe to them on YouTube. Go follow them on all the social medias. And of course, we'll give more information uh, later in the episode. But yeah, I guess on to the interview. Okay. Uh, Today we have Jordan and McKay on the show with us. Uh, They are married ex-Mormons who left the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints after a faith crisis. During their faith crisis, they found out the truth about the Mormon church and dove deep into church history. What they discovered and the uh, the many harmful tactics of the Mormon church led them to want to share the truth about the church with others. They began sharing their story on TikTok and then expanded to YouTube, where they've just passed 50,000 subscribers. Jordan is a graduate student currently working on her master's of social work degree. Oh, Anna's working on hers, too. Um, And and McKay is the master editor of all their YouTube content and a stay-at-home dad to their adorable toddler. That is too kind. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We are so happy to have you on. Um, We found you through Fundy Fridays, who praises the real Jesus, uh, actually has been able to um, upload content again after those shitty copyright strikes from that Fundy. Oh, my God. Yeah. If you don't subscribe to Fundy Fridays, you should. Go do the thing. We love yeah, so I guess we'll start off with a question we ask all our guests. It's a, you know, very simple one. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's, what, tell us about your faith background. Oh, God. That's such a loaded Super question. <laughs> do, you, do you want uh, singular stories first or? Whatever rabbit holes y'all want is sort of what we usually say. <laughs> okay, maybe we'll go you, me, and then both. Okay. How's that? Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I guess mine, uh-huh. yeah, mine is a little different than McCabe. Yeah. I was more of like a, I was raised Mormon, but my dad is not. And so it was really one-sided because my mom was like very gung-ho about the church. And my dad was like, this is stupid. I'm go watch the South Park episode. That's everything you need to know. So (laughs) that's kind of the vibes that I got growing up. So it was very one-sided, but I spent more time with my mom. And so I did spend like the majority um, of my life in the Mormon church. And, you know, I phased in and out in my teenage years and as typical teenagers do challenging things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did that for a while. And then towards the end of my high school career, I sort of got my crap together and was like, okay, I'm going to commit. Like I'm, I'm committed. I'm going to do this. Um, there's a lot of, you know, like guilt conditioning and Mormonism mm-hmm. around things. And mm-hmm. so it kind of, I feel like it finally got to me and I was like, okay, I don't want to go to hell. So I need to get my stuff together, which is what I did. So I jumped back in full-fledged. I moved to Utah to go to the University of Utah because I wanted to dive headfirst into Mormon land. Um, And so I did that. I was in uh, what we call Institute every week, which is like Mormon indoctrination for college students. And I did that every week and I had callings and I was in church every Sunday And so I just jumped in head first and that's kind of where I still was when I met McKay. I guess it's my turn. Now it's your turn. (laughs) So I was born into a multi-generational Mormon family on my maternal side, just a few, I mean, only to my grandparents, really. They converted after living in Utah for a short time and then 
my paternal side just all the way back basically to the start was how long a lot oh, of my wow. ancestors had been in the church. All the way back to Jesus? <laughs> That's what <laughs> oh the Joseph Smith start. Gotcha. Um, so uh, really, really big into Mormonism. Most of my family members, I mean, were Mormons. We hang, hung out with Mormons. All my friends were Mormons. And the whole nine yards, we went to church every Sunday. We... Uh, did our best as a family of six to do family readings of the Book of Mormon and all the stuff that you're supposed to do. All the way through high school, I was really good and strong in the faith. In the latter years of my high school career, I uh, started to stray away from it and decided that it wasn't for me, although I was still living in the house of my parents, so it wasn't really a, an option to just not do it anymore. <laughs> After going to BYU-Idaho, because I didn't really have any other school prospects, I decided that I wanted to serve a two-year full-time mission, and I was assigned to the uh, Honduras-Tegucigalpa mission for two years. I was there. Oh. And then soon after returning, I reconnected with Jordan, who went to the same high school as me, and we hit it off that way. Yeah. That's awesome. What was the... Well, I guess because you mentioned you'd kind of step, you were kind of questioning in high school a little bit. Was there any like one specific thing that caused you to question? Um, um, rebelliousness. Okay. Honestly, <laughs> it was uh, yeah. just me being a little turd of a kid. I, I'll police my language because I, I don't know how far you. Oh, know. we we don't censor anything. We. Okay. So I just I wanted to be a little shit and I wanted to be edgy <laughs> and stuff like that. So. Um, I was like, nah, I'm over this. I don't want to do it anymore. So I was mentally out, but I would have to go to all the stuff. I was really adamant that I wasn't going to be a missionary or anything like that. And then after, I mean, BYU-Idaho is a little bit different from Utah because it's in the middle of nowhere, southeastern Idaho, and it's really concentrated really concentrated i had six roommates and of the six four of them had already been missionaries oh wow. one of them was going to leave for his mission and then it was me so it was it was pretty easy to be like you know what this is maybe for me especially after this girl i was dating dumped me to go on a mission as well so oh <laughs> uh, okay yeah <laughs> and then um jordan did you ever go on a mission or I did not. There are missions for women, but they're like different, right? They're a little different. It's, okay. I wouldn't say it's discouraged, but it's like no. for men, especially of recently, they've said it's like basically a requirement and you have no choice where women, it's kind of like, if you want to go, you can go. And I was very much of the, like a lot of women that I grew up with in college were like, well, I'm not getting married anytime soon. So I'm just going to go on a mission. And that's kind of like mm -hmm. the vibe. But, and I was getting to that point. I mean, how old was I when we got married? 22? 23? You were barely 21. And you were just 21? turning 21. You were only 20. Because I, at that point, you know, I was 20 and I was like, oh my God, I'm an old maid. So I was like, <laughs> I'm just going to go on a mission. And that's kind of the path that I was going down when I started talking yeah. to McKay. So then that was... Oh. Yeah. Yeah. There's kind of like a, a bit, it's been a culture shift within the last 15 years. They changed kind of the ages because it used to be for missionaries, you had to be 19 if you were a man mm -hmm. and you had to be 21 
if you were a woman. So it kind of got to this point where it was like, oh, she's she's serving a mission. What? She couldn't land a bow or something? Like, um, <laughs> just kind of misogyny. That oh. You talk to any older person who served at a time where it was like that and was like, oh, yeah, the sister missionaries, they're so annoying and they're so, they're, they're on a mission, so they're ugly kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's not all like that, but that <laughs> was kind of the vibe I got a lot of the times. Yeah. Was, yeah. So. Yeah, I remember there were like I think two girls at my high school who said they were going on missions after graduating. So, like they they were Mormons. Um, yeah, and, and of I course mean, I felt well. I was just going to bring up I felt uncomfortable about that because as an evangelical, like we, I, I mean Anna, you can talk about this too. I feel like I got all these messages that like Mormons are a cult and they're going to hell. And like I I know that y'all would agree with the statement that Mormonism is a cult, but the thing is the reasons that like evangelicals give are just like a lot of pearl clutching about theology, like about the the mother God uh, concept, which is like really that's the thing you're gonna critique, but. Um, and like, yeah, I mean, obviously a lot of stuff about like, they don't believe in Jesus the way we do. And yeah, they somehow just missed the point about like the actual cultiness of Yeah, <laughs> as if evangelicalism <laughs> isn't a cult either. Like, it's very funny <laughs> to me when I, like, I think my parents and I were watching a documentary on the Heaven's Gate cult. I'm gonna go on a slight tangent, but they were like, why didn't they just leave? Why did, why did they listen to everything you said? And I'm like, yeah, I wonder, I really wonder why they didn't. We, <laughs> meanwhile, we I'm like over here creating an Watching <laughs> Leah Remini's series, uh, Scientology <laughs> in the Aftermath. We're like, oh, oh yeah. How did they get tax exempt status? This is a cult. Yep. <laughs> Easy to throw stones when yeah. you live in a glass house. And that was house, like right? six months like before we left the church. So <laughs> self awareness when you're in it is just, <laughs> it's not there. Razor thin. <laughs> Thank you, Leah Remedy, for um, yeah, and I'm and I am really curious. Like, what were you guys taught about like Christians who were, I guess, not a part of the Mormon Church? Or I guess would they not consider those folks Christians? Or I guess I know it's probably a kind of spectrum belief around that. But um, to illustrate exactly kind of the rhetoric that they use when they're talking about other Christian churches, because in their they always tout the relationship that they have with greater Christianity and all the other denominations and things like that uh, mm-hmm. by way of humanitarian efforts and global faith conferences and things of that nature. But when I was in Sunday school, I specifically remember uh, my Sunday school teacher basically illustrating it as if it's a um, like true Christianity as a mirror. And when Jesus was around, it was a mirror that is functional and perfect. And then once the apostles died out and the great apostasy is they call it in Mormonism, um, brought about like the destruction of this mirror. So you have all these denominations, sects, whatever you want to call them. And they each maybe have a piece of the truth, but no one has the entire mirror. Except, Except the Mormon church. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah I remember, no, yeah, you guys have used phrases like, you know, Joseph Smith was like trying to create the restored church or that's the Mormon doctrine. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's the belief that Joseph Smith came in and brought about the restoration of the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was his mouth. I'm wondering, I'm going to look up when John Darby was alive because I'm wondering if they were alive at the same time. Uh, John Nelson Darby... 
I think. Yeah, they were around the same time. Well, while he was uh, creating Mormonism, John Nelson Darby was spouting shit about the rapture and end times. So <laughs> it's like it's like when you realize that Karl Marx and Abraham Lincoln had correspondence at one point in history. Wait, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. It's kind of wild to think about. I, I remember, he, I think he wrote him a letter to congratulate him on uh, winning the presidency or something like that. I, if memory serves me correctly. But. Oh, that's so bizarre. I mean, like, I mean in, in a way, that, sense, makes, so, that yeah. makes so much sense because, I mean, don't Mormons believe in a rapture, right? Or is that. Of okay. sorts. Yeah. I, I don't think it's, uh, I don't want to call it dramatic because Mormon is, Mormonism is totally dramatic, but <laughs> yeah. To say the least. Yeah, it's kind of the same idea where uh, I think it's more extra because I think the I can't remember specifically right now because it was one of those things where if you asked about it, they're like, is this a saving truth or is this just a curiosity? <laughs> um, I think the idea is that all the wicked will be burned and <laughs> the the people who are good will be resurrected so they won't be affected by it. But it's still like, like taught in a terrifying manner. Yeah. Like before yeah. Jesus comes back, everything's going to shit and you need to be ready for it. And you need to have food storage and you know, there's going to be plagues. And so that's kind of the mentality of fear that, cause my mom was very into like second coming lore basically and so i heard about that stuff all the time as a kid and it scared the living crap out of me so it is very much similar like you know the whole earth will be burned and mm -hmm. before jesus comes again and all that yeah. Nonsense. yeah all that fear mongering yes <laughs> i don't know if you were also taught like about that because one thing i know that i was taught in learning about the rapture was like you should be happy though when it happens because right. that means you're gonna go to heaven <laughs> and all i could think about was like but all of my friends will be burning and suffering right? on earth <laughs> also and now i feel guilty for being scared about it because i should be happy like i is that was that like a similar rhetoric that was preached Oh my gosh, yes. I always, that was like the dissonance that I had because I was like, this is like, I'm terrified of this. And my mm -hmm. friends that aren't Mormon, which are the majority of them, are probably going to die. But I should feel like happy because Jesus is coming again. And it's just like this weird cognitive dissonance yeah. that goes on. Here's, I don't even know if I've talked about this before, but um, kind of the idea is that the people who are living in the twinkling of an eye, I remember now, in the twinkling of an eye will be translated to a resurrected being, so they won't taste of death. And I remember as a missionary thinking, you know, I don't really want Jesus to come back in the time that I'm alive because I don't want to miss out on the dying part. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what? Oh, my God. So I mean, do you think, you, so you want the experience of dying I know. I was like, this is this feels like the quintessential human experience, and I don't want to miss out on the opportunity. See, and I was the opposite way because I am terrified of death, and so I was like, nope. Translation immediate. Sign me up. <laughs> um. So something that I'm curious about is, I guess, um, well, to use some of the language that y'all have used, and I guess ex Mormons use, what broke your shelves? Uh, what actually caused you to kind of leave the church? Oh, man. And I maybe mean, also explain that phrase also, the breaking shelf thing. Do you want to explain it? Yeah, so I don't, I think it actually came, the shelf actually came from a, like an apostle's wife. 
um, if I recall correctly. And she was using it in a Mormon context. So it's actually pretty funny to me that we've like co-opted this phrase and (laughs) changed it into an ex-Mormon thing. Um, But the whole idea is that there's things in Mormonism that, you know, you either don't understand or you don't agree with or you seek revelation on and you don't get answers and they're bothersome to you. But in order to maintain your faith, you just figuratively put them on a shelf. So, like, for me, polygamy, Uh, which I didn't understand at the uh, time, was a shelf item. So I would just put it over there because I don't want to deal with it. It's not at the forefront of my mind. Like, I'm just going to ignore it. And then eventually, for a lot of ex-Mormons, like, that shelf just continues to build. And then you've just got, like, all this crap sitting on there that you can't, you know, you can't sort through. You can't make sense of. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, it either gets too heavy and it all collapses or there's, like, some, for some people, it's, like, reading the CES letter, which basically debunks the whole Book of Mormon, and they read that, and no matter what was on their shelf, everything comes crashing down. So that's kind of the metaphor, but do you want to talk about yours? Because we definitely have different reasons. Yeah. A lot of things weighed heavy on my shelf before, um, and a lot of it had to do with the, the culture of the church and how the people acted. Um. And a lot of people will say, oh, the culture, oh, that's just something different that's native to Utah. And I'm not talking about Utah. (laughs) So we can always put that to the side. And I also worked for the church for about a year, a little more than a year. And just seeing, because I worked in the distribution management division or materials management division, which handled the printing and distribution of all the church materials, all of the uh, the magic undies, the garments, <laughs> um, and anything of that nature, and just seeing how it was run like a business because that's what it is. It was just really unsettling to me. Um, so racism was a big part of that cultural aspect, aspect and then the uh, the whole money thing just really got to me. <laughs> yeah. For me, I had a few things, um, even like for a lot of women, the polygamy thing is, is bothersome. Um, and I always knew like polygamy is a part of Mormonism and it's, I feel like it's not something that they really, there's aspects of it that they try to hide, but by and large, most Mormons know that pioneers and previous Mormons participated in polygamy. Like I had polygamous family members. And so like I always knew it, but then when you kind of dive deeper into that polygamy rabbit hole, like you learn, you know, that Joseph Smith was marrying 14 year olds and mm-hmm. it just kind of like expands. And so polygamy was a big thing for me. Um, how like the whole rhetoric and how they treated the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. I mean, I was a closeted bisexual person then, but I, you know, there was some major cognitive dissonance there. Um because there was a 2015 policy that they enacted that basically said that any Mormons that were in, you know, any same-sex relationship were committing apostasy. And so that was a really big thing for me. And any kids that were in, that were children of a relationship of that nature would be essentially not be able to get baptized until they were 18. And then if they did want to get baptized, they'd have to renounce like their parents and say that they're living in sin and they're wrong. And so that for me, and that was in 2015, and that was yeah. right when I left for college. And so that was like, that was a big thing for me. Yeah. Which on its nose, I mean, we don't want children to be baptized into the Mormon church because mm-hmm. that's a predatory thing. But yeah. 
the the act of having to basically uh, renounce your family and declare that they're living in sin is just yeah, yeah that atrocious was, that was which bad so, they did revoke that policy yeah which is so interesting to me because i feel like um i went to school with a lot of mormons like most of my friends were mormon weirdly enough i just seemed to attract them <laughs> um but, I'm, but that's so interesting to me because like i feel like most of the Mormons I knew, it was all very family oriented. So the notion that like, oh, you can be baptized. You just have to renounce your family members from a religion that from the outside. True, world, like respecting very- like mother and father. And it was very important. But I guess what they would say is that like, it's not mother and father in that case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they have the, the family, a proclamation to the world, which was written in 1995 um, and basically was written after they were kind of denied in a landmark case in the state of Hawaii um, that was dealing with same-sex marriage at the time. But that basically kind of just delegitimizes any family that's not a heterosexual relationship. Yeah. So, yeah, you're totally right on that. Yeah. One other question I'm actually curious to know about this is um, one thing I've observed is there's a lot of like American, like obviously uh, Mormonism is a very much an American religion, specifically United States religion. But I'm curious to like, what is your thought on the fact that it seems to be a very like America centric, very patriotic belief system? Like I'm sure that came about because that's just where everything was founded and created and whatnot. But like, I guess that also goes into like election stuff as well. But yeah, I just like, what were your, what were your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on that now? Like, yeah. Oh God. Mormons are a special breed of patriotic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We know, like I know personally of many, like just people that we grew up with in the ward or family members who have like pictures and paintings of George Washington like praying in their homes which is like the most bizarre thing ever yeah weird because all the founding fathers were like deists they weren't actually even like Christians so well and that's the I don't know if it's didn't isn't there a part of scripture that says that the founding fathers were baptized into the church not in scripture, not in scripture. known, but it's also like... Oh, but uh, you all can baptize the dead, right? Did y'all baptize yeah. George Washington? Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so we, they claim the founding fathers. Yeah, the, the rhetoric surrounding the United States of America is that it was basically foreordained as a place where the restoration of the gospel uh, by Smith could uh-huh. happen. Oh, okay. So... It is so America is very central. The <laughs> yeah. promised land, yeah, and it's dedicated as a place for the New Jerusalem to be built in um, Jackson County, Missouri. So it is kind of very of all places. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I and they really. I thought for a while there that they were kind of just backing off on that, but just in the time when I was on my mission, um, we had. Like they have leaders all over the world and people who are kind of localized to that region who know things about the culture and the people there that they have in positions of leadership and things like that. But one of the the local leaders, he came to our mission and addressed us and he was talking about, I can't remember what it was, but he is still a general leader. So he participated in the general conference in Salt Lake City and 
while I was there, he told us that they nixed people giving um, addresses at general conference in their native tongue. Everybody has to do it in English. No translators, hmm. nothing. Huh. So when they're like pushing that idea, people need to learn English. It's just a little... English is the only language spoken in Mormon heaven. Yeah, so. <laughs> Especially the super high-padded, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Or the pure Adamic language, but we won't we won't get into that. Yeah. Oh, oh my god. I I heard about you guys talk about that in the I watched all of your videos about the inside the Mormon temple. I found it fascinating. <laughs> um but anyway, um, so kind of getting into politics and such, honestly, I think something um, you know, maybe one of the first like cracks in my evangelical faith was related to a particular Mormon. Um, you know, when Mitt Romney ran in 2012, I was, um, I was like a, a few weeks before the election, uh, I was at a church bonfire with the youth group and I was talking to one of the ladies and I just kind of casually mentioned my parents are voting for Obama. And then she like got charged, like shock on her face, you know, and she was like, Obama supports abortion. And you know, I at the time, I'm just seeing, you know, this church support Mitt Romney and everything. I was just thinking in my head, I'm like, y'all taught me that this guy, these Mormons, like they're in like a cult. They're not Christians and everything. And so at the time, my young teen itself could not understand why that was the case. Of course, I know now that the reasons are pretty much the same reasons they supported Trump, you know, like political aims and everything and racism. And yeah, somehow that was the least controversial candidate that the Republican Party has had in the last years <laughs> she's really saying I something know, right? yeah <laughs> mitt was a big deal at least in my Huge. house it was you oh to i'm sure i mean it was the first time where like um i feel like there's usually like a mormon candidate running in utah but like this is the first time it was the republican nominee yeah so yeah it was a it was a huge deal for everybody and the church in the united states is predominantly registered Republicans. So everybody was always talking about it and kind of like romanticizing the idea of, oh my God, we would have somebody in the White House that believes the same ideals that we all believe. Mm -hmm. So it was, Jordan mentioned it. I went to a campaign event that he had in Colorado, mm -hmm. I remember, and we were like all in. I was only 17 at the time, so mm -hmm. I still didn't mm -hmm. vote, but yeah, it was crazy. There was like culturally, I felt like there was a lot of talk in Mormonism about Obama like being an antichrist, which is like oh right. Also, there was like the, the rumor that like Obama was a false or a fake uh, secret Muslim. Yeah, that was the word. Like Obama yeah. was a secret Muslim. There was that like misinformation. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And there was like the whole like oh, yeah. further conspiracy as well, where it was like, oh, he's not actually American, and it's yep, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, that was that was born of the former president. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Oh God! Love that. Um, <laughs> yeah, everybody was really all in on Mitt, and I was definitely. I mean, my parents every every day were watching Fox News and things like that. So that kind of stuff also filled my head, and those were things that I believed. And you know, I took them for face value for a really long time. So, I mean, we were all in on on stuff like that. Lots of deconstruction. And I guess did did Mormons then? Um, do the same thing that I guess evangelicals did when um, Romney was running. Did they like just hop on the Trump train really quickly? Did you observe like things like that? Okay. A lot of them. Yeah. I don't think <laughs> oh, if there were anybody who was not voting for one of the two parties, they definitely were jumping on the, the Romney train for sure. 
I only knew of. See, the thing is with that, Jordan would know a little bit better. I did not vote in that election. I was on my mission and oh. I basically missed the entire, I my mission basically covered that entire cycle from when he announced to after he got elected and was sworn in. So I basically missed all of that. And while I was out in Honduras and there was all this talk of building the wall and everything, it was abundantly clear to me that it was, he was not something that I was going to endorse but I was also still in that space where I had watched Fox News for so long and they, mm-hmm. my family just constantly I mean, the indoctrination, me. you can't just like shake it off, you know? Yeah, it's, so I was like, I don't want to vote for Trump. Don't send me an absentee ballot and I don't want to vote for Hillary. So I'm just not going to vote. That was the first time I would have been able to vote and I didn't even. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> stolen from I, I mean, my family was the same. My mom's very... I don't want to, I don't know. She is kind of conspiracy theorist. She does kind of dive into that a little bit. I think if she went down that path, I haven't talked to her in almost two years now, but if she went down that path, I feel like she would dive deep into QAnon. So that's kind of like the rhetoric that I was kind of raised around, still very conservative. And so for like, for my family, there was like a level of not being a fan of Trump, but Hillary was the worst option. Cause you know, she like, kills babies and drinks their blood in the basement yeah. or whatever oh, the hell no. Republicans say about her now. So that was kind of like, I felt like I had no choice and I was still deep in the conservative indoctrination. And, you know, for Republicans, like abortion is usually like a, you know, it's, a it's like a single issue. issue. Yeah. And it doesn't matter because that's like whoever's running and they're just going to vote for it because they yeah. oppose abortion, you know? Yeah. Like I even remember like back in elementary school and this was a while ago. This was, I think when Bush was running against John Kerry, like we obviously like we joke like, Oh, we're supporting this candidate. Like I couldn't vote. I was like nine or 10 brother was like <laughs> five. Um, and like one of the main rhetoric that these like little kids were saying is like John Kerry kills babies. And it's mm-hmm. like that indoctrination starts so young and my parents like okay they were definitely like christian but one thing that my parents said like my dad especially was like he has kids he doesn't kill babies like that makes (laughs) no sense um so young i was talking to my sister the other day and she says i don't know if you remember this april when you were in elementary school you went up to me and said like that um one of your friends told you that obama kills babies (laughs) and i asked her about that i was like does obama kill babies and the the friend in question was very very catholic so (laughs) that's fair um so i think that i wanted you guys mentioned a little bit a little while back that i wanted to like ask you about um what is the ces letter oh man i wish i I would have brought it up here if I had it. Um, do you want to s- explain it? or I, Also, I, if, I if there's a way it. to link um, it, we can also link it in our yeah. show notes as yeah, well you if you want to share like a full version of it. Org if you're yeah, just listening it's... and you don't want to s- click on the link. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is basically, um, it is CES stands for Church Education System. And Jeremy Runnels wrote a letter to the president of the Church Education System with a list of doubts that he had concerning the Book of Mormon and all these other subjects that uh, pertain to Mormonism. A lot of them are like the anachronisms contained in the Book of Mormon, like the Book of Mormon mentioning that there are horses in a time in America where there were none, there's no proof of any horses Mm -hmm. or anything like that, or even like metallurgic things like 
they were the Nephites were crafting steel, but the technology didn't exist at that point in time. So things like that, things regarding Joseph Smith's polygamy, things regarding um, the temple ceremony and how it is eerily similar to a lot of the rituals that the Freemasons perform. Like some of the exact same hand motion, like the handshakes and yeah. yeah. So he wrote this letter, sent it to the pre- the president of the church education system at the time, and then received no response. So he decided to publish it. A lot of ex-Mormons regard it as like a silver, silver bullet for Mormonism. Wow. I don't necessarily think it is. I think it's a really good resource, but people will just throw it out there. Like it's going to get people to leave Mormonism and... It just doesn't like you have to be in the right headspace for it to work that yeah, way. Yeah, of course. Because I know that even if the path by by all means, it's a great tool, just not like a uh-huh. silver bullet. Really. When it's yeah. very like, I mean, it's it's kind of nice because I think a lot of times, like anything that's like even like slightly opposition to Mormon, like any type of culture, doctrine, whatever, is considered anti-Mormon literature, which is why Mormons like won't go anywhere near any of it. Mm-hmm. Like when I was like, mm-hmm. even me in college, the CES letter was like, you know, mm-hmm. it was like Satan. Like I was, I wasn't even going to go near it because that's mm-hmm. kind of the rhetoric that surrounds it. But I mean, even stepping from an outside perspective now, I think there's so much more genuineness to the CES letter because Jeremy was a member of the church when he wrote it. And he was, you know, wow. the church says, mm-hmm. ask questions. It's important to ask those questions. And so he did what all of us are told. And he reached out yeah. to the people who should have the answers and they chose not to respond. And so it's not even like a, you know, like a, un, like a disturbed person, they would say, who just wrote wow. a hit about the church and wants to like ruin people's lives like he was very genuine in his quest to find answers and this is where we ended up and i mean that's definitely not the only like good resource out there like there's lots of books about joseph smith um that debunked a lot of things for me so the resources are out there just the mormons tell you that you know don't go down that path yeah and again similar to scientology in a way too where like like because i think leah remini mentioned that like all the stuff that was put out there that was like quote unquote anti-Scientology, they were all lies. And it was like, yep. it only took her leaving the church to really see it for what it was. And that was the truth. Absolutely. And then yep. also in evangelicalism, another thing that happens is a lot of the times, like if there's anything that could potentially deny any sort of biblical science, whatever, it's like, Oh, the devil's tempting you. Like this is the mm-hmm. devil's temptation. And even in like, um, more definitely more fundy circles you hear like oh the dinosaur bones were put there by satan to deny like the creation (laughs) yes and it's like or they're just dinosaurs you know like it's there's (laughs) yeah occam's razor is a bitch let me tell you (laughs) it just i mean that's funny to me because that's Mormons are really weird about the dinosaur thing because they'll be like, no, like our worldview like sort of aligns with evolution, but we believe the earth is only 6,000 years old, but we believe in dinosaurs. Like it just doesn't like compete. Yeah, yeah like Adam well, and Eve rode dinosaurs or something. BYU when they, they teach evolutionary biology and all these kinds of like really commonly held beliefs about science and everything like that and then the theology just undercuts it so it's kind of weird it's a weird dynamic yeah yeah um i'm curious to know as well because i've 
had like maybe one or two friends leave the church officially. And I know that it is a massive um, process, um, especially like well, getting all got lucky, yeah. I think, with because I watched the, your video about that. Yeah. Yeah, it can be a really difficult task. People who have more ties within it can probably to officially leave and people will say, oh, well, you leave when you stop going to church. And that's really not the the case because they still count you on their membership numbers and you're still even though your seat is vacant there's still a seat there well, and they'll you. still reach out to you yeah. and call you they have and your leave information stuff at your door and... they will transfer your information if you move they'll try to get the most up-to-date um and i think that's kind of being less commonplace than it was but we've heard from people who said that they were calling the phone company to get their new phone number to keep it up to date and in their records and things like that. So it used to be that you had to be excommunicated and usually the only excommunicable offenses were like crimes, adultery, fornication, things of that nature. So you couldn't nowadays it's still hard because they will, if they choose to push back and not grant you your request and then you have to go the route of quitmormon.com to do that. But for us, it was just writing a letter, um, asserting that we understood what we were, quote unquote, losing. Even though for us, I mean, I don't see it as <laughs> any sort of a loss. And then um, basically signing our names to it well, and, and we, sending it to our local leader. We, I mean... I wouldn't say it was a threat, but we wrote in the email, like, you can either allow us to resign right now and we'll go quietly in the night, or you can choose to hold what they would call a court of love, which is a, Ooh. Basically, mm. you're going to get excommunicated. Sounds like some 1984 shit. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, so you can either do that or you can do like a whole process of excommunicating us and we'll make it all public and everybody can watch what's happening. And so I think... Because our platform yeah. was growing on TikTok pretty big at that point, which is, and we colloquially kind of know that we were on a list at that point. And so I think they were very aware. And so we're like, you know, this is your choice. If you want a PR nightmare, we'll give you a PR nightmare. Otherwise, you can just let us go quietly in the night. Yeah. And we got our letters like a week or two later. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And it seems, uh, it seems kind of conspiracy theory-ish because... To say, oh, well, we're on a list or something, but I was, when we first started out, I was still attending BYU-Idaho, much to my dismay. And, and you got called by like a, what, like a the honor behavior code board? Yeah. 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 And I'm, I'm not even on campus or anything like that. I, my hair was growing out, but none of my instructors had any issue with it. And they just reached out to me. They wanted to talk to me, which had never happened before, even when I was attending on campus. They don't just like check in with and you. And we They're were like, like, hey, yeah, for that's a reason. Not, not a regular thing. So to think that we had done something or, or it had been reported, there had to be someone who really Somebody reported was us. watching us. Ooh keeping an eye out and i mean i wouldn't even things were really tumultuous with family members at that point and they had found out i think either then or right around that time so i wouldn't have even put it past family members reaching out to be yeah. but there's no way of knowing but it was it was a dicey situation because he was at the end of the semester and if the honor code boots you they like boot your record so you can't finish mm -hmm. they won't give wow. you your transcripts yeah. they won't let you finish like they'll forfeit your semester 
And so we were yeah. like, okay, just, we ignored it. We didn't respond. They reached out to me. They found my phone number and reached oh out to gosh. me because we're married. And well, I didn't They had respond. your phone number and all my contacts. But yeah, but still. It's that's, still. Like, I'm not responsible for him. Don't ask God. me. Yeah. Yeah, so we were just screening calls and uh, it nothing came of it. They tried to do a Zoom meeting. It was meeting. right at the end of the, the semester. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were trying to, they were the sending very emails end, and stuff. Like the last email that we got was an uh, email that it was like the dean or something wanted to meet with him and he was going to schedule a Zoom meeting that he needed to attend. And obviously he has long hair. So the Zoom meeting was, was like, very intentional. That's going <laughs> to throw a wrench and everything. But yeah, the mm-hmm. semester ended. I was registered for the next one. So they're like, oh, we'll just meet with you when you come back, which is also a shitty thing. You're going to meet with me after I pay next semester's tuition Tuition. okay Mm -hmm. yeah um but i ended up just dropping all my classes and transferring even though i haven't been back to school yet but Mm -hmm. that was a stressful yeah that was a little stressful that that's over the edge on being like okay we're i'm now out of school there we're out of here we're gonna send in our resignation and luckily processed really quickly and granted to us oh that's so good Oh my goodness. And then like, I can't even, I like, I've heard also where it's like, you have, you have to literally get like your records like expunged. Is that a thing still? Okay. Yeah. So it's there. Quitmormon.com is a group of lawyers who was very annoyed by what the church was doing, because essentially what you have to do is you have to send a letter to church headquarters um, and you used to just be able to do that and they would release, they would remove your records. Hmm. However, do we really know what that looks like? We don't really know, mm-hmm. but you would just be able to send a letter and be like, I'm done. And they would send a letter back and be like, okay, we've removed your records. But then when people were leaving the church, like in droves, like around the time mm-hmm. of the 2015 policy, they put in a policy that says you can't just send in a letter. You have to have it notarized, which is like super annoying to do. Oh. So yeah. it was a barrier to try to get people to stop, which it didn't work. And then a group of lawyers um, came up with quitmormon.com and they, because they're a law firm, they do it through their law firm um, and contact the church that way. So that way they don't like argue with you or anything because you have legal assistance. Yeah. So. But that also, it kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It kind of... Um, slows the flow or i don't even know anyway it it makes it harder and you end up waiting a much longer time because it's a legal process they drag their feet and it takes so long to process Mm -hmm. that way so they have like a big queue of people that are just waiting who have put in all the information and gotten all the stuff done and quit mormon bless their hearts are just trying their hardest to get things i mean it's all pro bono so nobody's paying i mean you can donate to them Mm -hmm. but nobody's paying them to do this work so it's a work of love at this point yeah absolutely and then i guess like i'm curious to know as well because i've seen also your video on like mormon influencers as well because that always just like fascinates me um (laughs) with these mormon influencers especially younger mormon influencers what do you think again now from a once insider now outsider perspective what do you think the future of like the religion is in the church especially now that there is more quote-unquote influencers out there and people who aren't necessarily following all the rules y'all point that out a lot yeah yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. i like i like your take on it my take on on the future this the future schism that could be happening 
So I am of the party that I don't really think Mormonism will ever go away because I think essentially, and we talk about this in our influencer videos, but the like, you know, the rules are pretty strict and you're supposed to follow them and you like, especially if you go through the temple, like you covenant and you'd swear on your life that you will follow them, that you will wear the garments, whatever. And so a lot of the influencers, I feel like in my opinion, are just trying to kind of shift the narrative a little bit and be like, it's okay to not wear your garments. Like it's fine. And it's kind of, I feel like a love hate relationship for the church because they don't want people to leave. And so they're Mm -hmm. not going to like outright condemn it and be like, no, this is bad. Don't do this because these influencers are kind of creating a space where it's okay to not really like be Mormon Mormon. Like they're kind of coming up with their own brand, which still inherently works for the church because that might draw people in who are not aware of Mormonism. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, they don't wear weird underwear. Cool. Or, you know, it's just this weird thing. But eventually what I think will happen, um, I think the influencer thing will eventually become a problem because it's kind of, they're kind of getting wind of that, I think, more yeah. with TikTok and things. But I think it'll be a separation, which has happened in the church in the past before. But I think the, like, diehard right-wing, like, very political right-leaning people will, like, cling to the church and everybody else will kind of get left behind and the church will kind of take, like, a really firm stance on something and be like, this is it. Like, we're separating the wheat from the tares. Like, this is... Yeah, this is what's happening. And it'll kind of just split the church. And I think in my mind, I would love to see it eventually just become this kind of like, weird little small extremist group, instead Mm -hmm. of this like worldwide religion that they purport it to be. But it's hard to say. Yeah, they Um, basically have two options where you can be you can lax up on the rules and more people can join and then some of the more fundamentalist like orthodox for lack of a better term mormons will kind of just fade away or they double down on everything and they stick to their core really hardcore believers because at the end of the day like convert baptism retention is atrocious i don't know about here in the united states but i mean i'm at least one for 12 of the people that i baptized uh So it's absolutely atrocious. They want to, they have to depend on the people who are born into it because you can indoctrinate them from a younger age. Yeah. Cause I'm sure the people who are like converted in different countries, once they actually get into the, the temple, I'm sure they're like, this is weird. I mean, just from the way that you'll describe it. Like I just... they would, but a lot of the people who I encountered in my mission, they, the people who did make it to the temple, they were all in about the temple. They were, well and if you can't go like there wasn't there was a temple in honduras at the time but it was not like oh true there are some places that don't yeah yeah and so it like i think they build it up like in their minds to be like this wonderful experience for when Mm -hmm. we finally get there and it's going to be amazing and so Mm -hmm. i don't know that really anything could shift your mindset when you're like in that headspace yeah it's it's really Mm -hmm. big because i mentioned this in on monday in monday's video like there were converts in central america before there was a temple even in mexico city Hmm. so some people were going from like guatemala city to mesa arizona they would drive a bus and i think most people were saying it was like three days bus ride from there and then they would stay like a week or two weeks in mesa and then go back 
like it was a huge deal for a lot of people and a huge sacrifice because that was like a one-time pilgrimage to be able to save up enough money to pay the bus fare and i think they would charter them but i'm it's still a good sum of money to have a chartered bus for two weeks yeah no kidding yeah huge um so a question i have for y'all y'all were talking about schisms and such um have y'all watched the uh, the docu-series on Netflix called Keep Sweet about the fundamentalist Latter-day Saints. We've watched one episode. <laughs> uh, I like almost bitched through the whole thing because I guess cults fascinate me. But, I yeah. read I, one of my theses during my undergrad was on polygamous cults mm-hmm. and so and you know Mormonism is obviously Warren and you know the FLDS mm-hmm. is like the biggest one out there. So I did a lot of research like on the FLDS then so I don't think I'd be surprised if there was something I didn't know in that Keep Sweet documentary. Plus, I'm just really sensitive. So it's hard for me to watch that. I like internalize those things and it is just so off-putting and horrible. So I have to like watch it in like small increments. I'm sure we'll get around to the rest of them. Mm, completely yeah it's weird to watch because i mean the mormons like to paint the flds as some like this extremist kind of thing but just watching it now i'm like warren jeffs saw joseph smith and that was his blueprint Mm -hmm. obviously joseph smith's life was kind of cut short so we weren't really able to see how that kind of came to fruition because at the time he was denying that when he died he was denying that he was participating in polygamy. He was running for president. So who knows what could have happened thereafter. But yeah, it's weird to see Warren Jeffs, a man who is currently alive, basically mm-hmm. living out the fever dreams of Joseph Smith. Well, and Mormons love to blame the FLDS for everything. Like there couldn't mm-hmm. be practically anything wrong with Mormons. Like it's the FLDS because they, you know, believe in Warren Jeffs and he's the prophet and all these things. But I mean, as far as like doctrinally speaking, comparing like modern day Mormonism to them, the people who are living the Book of Mormon and the doctrine as it was originally written by Joseph Smith is mm-hmm. the FLDS. Like they're living it as yeah. it was written. Yeah. And also, I mean, Mormons have like a prophet that they think, you know, like, I mean, the, the like you guys, I guess, believed in the prophet and that their words were like infallible, you know, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're infallible until everybody criticizes them and then they're not popular anymore. Then they're like, oh, well, uh, he was just a man of his time. And, you know, you can't take everything that they say seriously. Yeah. But the current like, prophet is always, yeah. that's church. Yeah. Yeah, I also feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like I saw this uh, around, I mean, I guess technically we're still in a pandemic, but like in the throes of the COVID pandemic, when it was at its worst, um, I think one of the like the prophet or someone very high up in the church said like please get vaccinated and then a bunch of people are like you've made a mistake like (laughs) everybody lost that mormons lost their minds over that oh my god oh that was early last year yeah kind of like february march yeah i think it was like when the first vaccine started to get rolled out for like the general public Oh yeah, the people on the lo- the, the comments section and the local news Facebook pages were absolutely going bananas it, over it. It's just like the the absolute contrast because you know people use it when it's convenient. So like when the church comes out and is like you know 
gay people are living in apostasy and they're terrible people. Like Mormons are like, yeah, okay. The prophet said so. And the prophet's like, get vaccinated. It'll help the community. And they're like, oh my God, no, everything is (laughs) broken. The prophet is wrong. He's not speaking for Jesus anymore. Yeah. The church is being led astray. Like the same thing happened with Franklin Graham. Yeah. (laughs) Literally they, that's just the crazy thing about it. And there was, it like it was the first time that I've ever seen like a great amount of people disagreeing with the prophet over an issue that wasn't like you know LGBTQ plus. Yeah, where there's, something like, an that was divide. like uh, not bigoted. Yeah, yeah, it was very interesting in that way. Yeah, that's so that's so fascinating that again, like that particular like anti-vax rhetoric has just taken over like most like not most major religions, but especially ones that are more common in America, like evangelicalism, Mormonism. Yeah. Fall. Like it's, it's, it's unfortunate. Cause I don't, it's the mark of the <laughs> Yeah. Like I don't want that to be the legacy. Damn it. Yep. That's yeah. lots of mark of the beast talk in Mormonism too. It's really, mm-hmm. it's really interesting to see the um, kind of religious right wing political culture overtaking its own, like, cannibalizing its own high demand religion Mm. it it was Mm -hmm. really wild to see that when i feel like mormons have a very like and i mean obviously there's like obviously a healthy distrust of like government officials and government in general but mormons have like a very like problematic relationship i feel like with the government where it's like you know the government's going to turn up on us one day and you know have your ar-15s ready because they're coming and so that's kind of the same thing with evangelicals honestly yeah (laughs) And and it's super, I mean, they're not really a far off base because it's happened before the Utah war, the U S army was deployed against Utahns because they were refusing to leave polygamy and they were refusing to grant them statehood and all this stuff. So they know that it could happen. And there's the, there's the extermination extermination order. order in Missouri. So there, there's definitely yeah. a distrust of, of government there. So it doesn't, like, when you think of it in that way, like, it aligns quite nicely. Like, oh, the government's forcing us to get the shots yeah. and it's mark of the beast and you're going to get, you know, disabled now because that's a terrible thing apparently. But Yeah. And then there's the irony, as mentioned before, with, like, the patriotism as well, where it's like, like, I get, like, having, like, holding both of those, like, yeah, like, healthy mistrust for the government, but also, like, red white and blue star-spangled goodness but i feel like it's both like very they're both in very different extremes in a way yeah Yeah. that's it flip-flops and that's people make fun of mitt we call them multiple choice mitt here Um, (laughs) just depending on the day he flip-flops and people are like why is he like that and i mean a lot of politicians are but it's mormonism like it flip-flops yeah at any given moment and he's kind of a not to get too far into it he's kind of an interesting politician when you consider his mormon beliefs like there's a lot of stuff that i feel like oh and it was interesting for me that i i googled like pictures of mitt and like his garments you can sometimes see them like underneath his like white shirts i feel like or i don't know yeah yeah interesting to see easily garment checked well and i feel like sometimes it's a very intentional choice Mm-hmm. I feel like it almost is like a, a little virtue signal for all the mormons out there yeah, yeah. especially like, like i still political. got you guys <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's like, don't um, worry, I'm still repping you guys. So I guess yeah. that's a weird a bit of a weird note to end on, but um I was wondering, I guess the last question we ask is uh what is your social media and what are ways that folks can support you? You can support just by uh listening to us 
and watching us on YouTube. Yeah. You can find us youtube.com slash Jordan and McKay. I always do this. Do you want to j- jump in it? I always this do this. This is your like routine. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Um, routine. You can just, that's like the easiest way that you can support us. Uh, on top of that, we have a couple different options that you can do. You can go to patreon.com slash Jordan and McKay. We have a couple different tiers that you can join our Patreon on. We also have merch. We do stickers here out of our little bedroom studio thing. Nice. And uh, you can find that at Etsy. You can I don't know what the, the link is, but it's I'll Happy put all Brain the links Collective. in our show notes. There you go. Happy Brain Perfect. Collective there. And then we can send you the link for our Teespring that has all the same designs on t-shirts, mugs, and hoodies and stuff like that. And then we're on social media. Like you can find us on Instagram. We're active on TikTok again. So we're doing that too. Semi-active. Yeah. (laughs) At Jordan and McKay for both of those. Yeah. such a great conversation and yeah. I'm just looking forward to the content that Jordan and McKay will continue to create to help folks who are coming out of the Mormon church because I know there's a lot of you know trauma happening particularly for LGBTQ people in that church mm-hmm. so we really love to see the support for folks leaving. So. Absolutely and I think it's so important to again kind of similar to um, what we say about like we want when people google like can you be a gay Christian that all Mm. of the healthier results come up instead of things that are harmful. That's kind of like my hope with people like Jordan McKay, as well as other influencers that like, if people- You can leave the church and it's okay, yeah. Yeah, you can leave the church, you'll be okay. You'll still have a very fulfilled life. Mm -hmm. And if you, and if anything, you'll be able to live a lot more authentically, especially if Mm -hmm. you fall under the LGBTQ plus umbrella. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess. Oh, wait, we do have news before we go into the plug, right? Or well, I guess yes. you also plugged this in the last one too, maybe, but that's, you can do it again. The, the Oh yeah. yeah. So uh, Q Worship Collective Weekend is happening the last weekend of August. Um, so again, I think I mentioned this before, but Q Worship Collective is a collective of queer worship artists uh, from all different kinds, musicians, uh, visual art, tech people, et cetera. And we're having a weekend meet up with workshops. Um, I'm teaching a workshop on podcasting and I am officially calling it, uh, uh, the podcast workshop that I'm leading is called podcasting 101 or how to broadcast your Thanksgiving rants to a niche audience that will love you. <laughs> nice. 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 I love that. Um, isn't I, that what a podcast is truly we're just ranting all the time. Yeah. Um, and people like us, a very niche crowd of people like us. Um, so another thing I actually have to plug is that by the time this episode is released, I'll have made my first official post on my Substack because yes! uh, as um, you might be hearing about in um, our crossover episode with Surviving Fundamentalism, whenever that comes out, um, both me and Richie have gotten very involved with this one uh, person's newsletter, God is My Special Interest by D.L. Mayfield on Substack, um, and that kind of inspired at this point both of us to start our own um mine is called butterflies in the wilderness and it's um april the writer dot substack dot substack.com so yeah. oh that's so exciting yeah. like definitely go read april's writings because they are fantastic yeah well uh now we can go to the regular plug yes uh good news 
Oh, yes. Okay. Sorry. Um, at time of recording, I am about to like move across the country tomorrow, so I'm just frazzled and tired. <laughs> oh my gosh. All, all good. And the I guess the slight good news with that is uh we're gonna be on the same time zone again, so oh, that'll yes. be pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you have good news or do you want me to go first? Uh, you can go first. Okay. My good news is that I. By hopefully by the time this comes out, if not, it'll probably be very soon after. I am getting a new car, hmm. um, so uh, I have had my car. Well, I haven't had my car since 1998. My parents got in 1998. It's very much a junker at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, she's on her. She was already on her last leg. But then I had a bit of a god moment a few weeks ago, um, where in this this is gonna sound bad, but I promise I'm okay. I got uh, rear-ended, and so there's a massive dent on the side of my car the bumpers falling off um it was like getting into an accident with my grandfather he was okay too he was just very old and his car was fine um but the reason i say it's a god moment is because once i get the check for that to fix it that's going towards my new car down payment Mm -hmm. so there's no way that like that's just like gonna be very helpful so i'm very excited i'm excited to have something that is mine Mm -hmm. that like that'll be really nice and it's gonna be under my name and also I'm very excited to be able to drive around with all the driving that I do and not mm-hmm. have to worry about my car like stalling on the freeway or anything. Mm-hmm. So that's some fun good news. Nice. I guess for me, my high is moving to Seattle. By the time this episode yes. comes out, I'll be in Seattle. Uh, I am just so excited and I'm so excited about my classes um, and just looking forward to whatever this grad school experience is going to have in store for me. So Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm so excited for you too. This is going to be awesome. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Reclaiming the Garden. You can follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook at Reclaiming the Garden or on Twitter at RT Garden Podcast. Be sure to check out our Patreon for exclusive episodes, and you can always check out our merch store to get t-shirts, mugs, and other fun merchandise. If you are able to, please be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as it does boost us in the algorithm, but we are grateful that you are here and listening, so if that's all you can do, We appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you soon.